This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so let's let's begin. Um, Alicia, you always help us with questions, so we're going to start with your question. Um, so I have a question. Um, you mentioned times about uh, a big crystals, and uh, you know I, I just thought it, you know you're, you're reflective on it. I you know. Alicia, you, know, you broke up a bit. You, you broke things. up a bit, so. Um, so I didn't hear a bit about that. Yeah, sorry. You're gonna have to ask that question again. Your voice broke up a little. Oh, I'm, I'm asking about crystals, and like, yeah, I know people use it healing, and you talked about, and you talked about how the, um, it was the, Cohen. So I want to hear about crystals and their uses and whether they're not kosher. Crystals, yeah, got it. Okay. Um, so, I'm, I believe it or not, I'm a little embarrassed to say that that I don't really know the first thing about crystals. Um, not my expertise, even a little. And um, and my my only thing I know is that whatever people think of crystals, they don't think half as much of crystals as the Jewish people. As I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've heard me say, but. I'll just repeat it for those who haven't heard me talk about it, is that the high priest wore 12, uh, he wore a breastplate with 12 crystals full time on him. And, and each of those crystals had its own power. Our sages tell us that each crystal had, um, had a, uh, what's called a koyach elyon, which meant a, a draw, a draw above that it would draw, and um, and the coin guttle, it was part of his vestments that he wore, and had to wear, full time actually, and he, um, and you could also ask it questions, there were all kinds of questions you could ask it, it was, uh, it would literally, it was like a, it would give answers to questions, questions of national importance, but uh, all kinds of questions you could ask, the, uh, ask that thing, how you doing Gita? So, okay, next question. Gideon, you, got, you want to start with a question? Michael, you ready with a question? Uh, no. Uh, I have here, uh, I was reading a little bit from uh, Ketuvim, and uh, if you could maybe insight this one, Yaret, Yaret, fear of Hashem is the beginning of knowledge. Is the trans- <laughs> Knowledge? Or is the translation das chokma? Like, what is it exactly? Okay. Um, so it says reishis chokma yiras Hashem, that the beginning of, of wisdom. Now, when we say chokma in Judaism, we get rid of the art scroll translation of wisdom, always, um, and and although sometimes it might be wisdom, and but usually it's not. And certainly when you're doing the spheros, it is definitely not wisdom, so you gotta be careful there. Um, and the so Rashis Khachma Yeras Hashem says that the beginning of wisdom or Khachma, the beginning of uh, whatever Khachma is, is the fear of God. So what's that all about? Now um, what that means is that people who don't have Yeras Hashem but are very smart are the most dangerous people in the world. Never honor smart people. Be really careful of smart people. You can honor them, but they gotta prove they're safe. 
How do you know they're safe? Because they're, they have what's called Yiras Hashem. What's Yiras Hashem? Yiras Hashem means that I have a compass. I know which way is north, or at least I'm using my relationship with God, Torah, mitzvahs, to be my north compass. And my wisdom doesn't get me in trouble. Because before I say something, or before I would lead anyone in any particular direction, I would first think to myself, is this right? Is this the right way to go? Is this, for, is this really for their benefit? Or is this to benefit me in some way? Is this, um, is this the right response to their need? Or is this some formulated, you know, formulated pill I'm giving them? The, uh, someone who has your Hashem is going to be very, very careful with their lives. They're honest. And so some of the worst things that have ever happened to our world are, oh, sorry, all the worst things that ever happened to our world came from people with a large amount of Chachmah. Now, Chachmah, we can use it generically for this particular um, answer. So you could call it wisdom, but I wouldn't call it wisdom. I'd call it rather smarts. That meaning being wise. And, and uh, if you think about the world, you'll realize that wise people created, sometimes they created something that wasn't so bad, but, it, but it, in the end it was bad. As, um, uh, as Sting said in a great song, and maybe I'll play it for you. Um, wow, you know, I should really play you guys this song. Can you, can you go procure mommy's uh, phone? I need it for lyrics. So, uh, uh, I'll take the guitar in a minute. So, Sting said, I never saw no military solution. <laughs> First of all, it's an oxymoron, a military solution. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, you're bringing out that guitar. That I wasn't expecting. I, I just happen to have my studio guitar in my house. No, I'll take it, I'll take it. So, my studio guitar made it to my house somehow. So, my son's bringing it out. It's not, I also love, I love every one of my guitars, no matter which one. But my studio guitar gets, come. No, it's like, a, it's, a, it's like the Cadillac guitar in the studio. Um... Where? What? What's oh, in my charger? On my bed. It's in my charger on my bed. Oh, I have to, I have to get it somehow. Where's your key? Look for mommy's phone. I'm waiting for another uh, smartphone to be able to give you the lyrics. I don't know the lyrics by heart. I'm the only one nuts enough to try to play a Sting song without knowing it. <laughs> His songs are very simple. Let me see if I can figure it out, the, the verses. Uh, 
So I can uh, I can look up the lyrics here real quick. I think I might have got the chords at least while we were waiting. I'm so happy to be with you guys. I had kind of a depressing day. You know, you know, I'm very I'm super vigilant not to have lows. So I wasn't depressed. I had a fine day for me, but it was a depressing day. I mean, I didn't, nothing really happened today. One say. Okay, her code's not working. Do you know mommy's password? Maybe. Maybe. Ah, maybe I could do a share screen, guys. I got a genius for a daughter. Let's see. No, no. How do I do it? Here, press on that. Yeah. Good. Share. Share. Good. Now go Google. Google. Oh, you're on Google. Okay, press here. What's on for you, Randy? Here, on this line. What's Sorry, everybody. I'm just getting the lyrics. Here. Oh, okay. Uh, might be in here. No. Oh, well, you just asked me. I asked you. Yeah. No. Really? A very easy one. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I found it. Oh, I'll shut off that. Uh, I'll mute everybody over there. Uh, one sec, I'll mute that. Try not to throw anything near the computer. Okay, I found the lyrics, thanks to my daughter. Okay, and now all I gotta mute, do is mute, mute that lady. Do I have access to? Ah, there they are. Participants, mute all. Yes. Oh, thank God. Sorry about that, everybody. You can pin my video if you want to make it big, by the way. 
I don't know how I'm going to do this, but God should give me the ability to do this. Okay. Someone said, asked a question. My girlfriend doesn't want kids. I really like this gal, but one thing is, but that one, th- this one thing is a bummer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry, Charlie. Find another girl, bro. The. Uh, you have you have no reason to be. It needs to come back up vertical. You have no reason to be getting married except to have kids. Okay. I mean, you could stay with her as your girlfriend forever if you really want, but, but, um, the, uh, the, whatever, I, I can, I'll go into it after this song. You could say I lost my faith in science progress. You could say I lost my belief in the church. <laughs> I never had it. You could say I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse, but... If I ever lose, lose my faith in you, There'll be nothing there for me to do. Some would say I was lost. <laughs> Some would say I was a lost man in a lost world. You could say I lost my faith in the people on TV. Say I lost my belief in the politicians. That's for sure. They all seem like game show hosts to me. If I ever lose my faith in you. By the way, this is about God here. This song is all the... What he's doing, he's bringing down all the things people have faith in. And he's saying that if I ever lost my faith in you, there'd be nothing left for me to do. And all these things, this is all a segue from Michael Katz's question, who was asking about, you understand, because all these people are smart people. But we've totally lost our faith in these. I mean, you should lose your faith in them, but you should never lose your faith in Hashem. If I never lose my faith in you, I'm not doing the bridge. I never saw no miracle of science. That didn't go from a blessing to a curse. I never saw no military solution 
Didn't always end up with something worse, but let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, such a great idea i hope you enjoyed it though i'm the only i'm the only person crazy enough to just start playing songs i don't really know i mean sometimes i need to pull up lyrics i don't know the lyrics but at least i know the song anyway oh thank you I can put that in my case so or you can keep it out in case i have another song to play all of a sudden not there up on the table please so um I just want to mention that the guy who said that his girlfriend doesn't want to have kids, um, can you push it against the table so it doesn't slide any direction? Um, that um, needs, you have to wash your hands and touch that guitar. No offense. Um, just talking to, my, talking to my kids. Is that a joke? So, anyway, I want to answer that question. Now, let me finish first with the wisdom question. Is that is that um, smart people are are the are the recipe for disaster? Um, all the subversive stuff that goes on is always smart people. Um, uh, all the bubbles in the stock trade. Who understands? Sorry, bubbles in real estate markets. Who understands that stuff? Smart people do. And then ordinary folk wind up homeless. You know, when when everything pops. The um, you know, smart people are behind everything. They're behind nuclear fission, which brings us to nuclear nuclear warheads. You know, it's always smart. You you want to get to the bottom of uh, you want to get to the bottom of every evil you'll ever meet in this world. It'll always be someone smart. And for that reason, in Judaism specifically, and I'm sure any other wise tradition, is never trust smart people until they've proven themselves. You're at Shemayim, which means that they have, they have fear of heaven. Um, Nechami, do you mind bringing me an ice water, please? Thank you so much. Oh, and I'll also take uh, a zinc and two, uh, what are those called? No, the, they're green-looking yellow things. They're, they're above the power of zinc. Cors, Corsican? Corsican? It's like a natural uh, version of oxy hydrochloroquine yeah the one that doesn't work but does unless you're in the media so or government or big pharma 
So, yeah, two of those uh, uh, yellow things and one zinc. They're all above the par sink. So, um, anyway. Anyway, yeah, beware of that. And once you have someone who's your Shemayim, so then his brains are a blessing. When they don't have your Shemayim, his brains are a curse. And so your Shemayim is the key. And that's why, uh, for example, Michael, who asked the question, was like up in arms recently between us privately about uh, certain people who were uh, kind of using Kabbalistic knowledge uh, for their own, uh, for their own, you know, their own gain. And um, it was just making Michael crazy. He just didn't like it. And whereas I, from years and years of dealing with people, I've got to meet, by the way, uh, many Jewish people who are seem to mean well, have big time brilliant brains, and uh, but no Yerushalayim, and they're not as dangerous as people creating nuclear nuclear fission, you know, like that. It's not the same level of danger, but it's uh, but it's dangerous, and it's led many, 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 many people off the tracks. Okay, the the sixty percent intermarriage rate in the non-observant communities. Thank you so much. This is my quercetin that I'm taking prophylactically to protect myself from viruses. Mist. Um, the 60% intermarriage rate in metropolitan areas is totally commissioned by absolutely brilliant scholars in denominations I'll leave nameless right now. I don't like to, uh, you know, in general, you almost never hear me bring up other denominations or other categories of Jews. But the, uh, but as I said, the, the, all those people who basically surgically reinstall their foreskins. And by the way, I want to say something else while I'm on this. This is going to be a little hot. Um, a Jew was burned to death today. Uh, did I just say burned to death? A Jew was burned completely incinerated today in California. And I don't know if you heard this on the news. So, so what happened was he had been intermarried to a Gentile who, when he died, even though many of us tried to intervene, like there was a massive intervention to get this guy a proper burial, she, um, she, she burned him. Like, he's now, he's now going to be in like a little, I don't know, a jar. You know, she's going to keep him in a jar on her mantelpiece. And if you had any idea the care that our tradition for thousands of years that says you come from the earth, you go back to the earth. If you had any idea the extreme care we take for the deceased, for their body, I mean, it's like crazy. I mean, they, it's full wash, orifice wash. I mean, like, like it goes into the ground cleaner than it ever was in its, in its living life. It goes into the ground that clean. And not only that, after the whole entire thing, the, these highly spiritual types who do that kind of work, 
like forgive the forgive the person, the soul of the person, because the soul's around till the burial. I mean, just can't imagine what being burns like if the soul's around till the burial. Can't imagine that's pretty. Um, but you, I've seen them almost at every funeral. They, yeah, it's part of the funeral. Is the people who did all the washing of the body or the dipping in the mikvah as well? They um, they ask forgiveness from like the bottom of their heart for any mistreatment. Meanwhile, they were treating this body like like we don't treat each other the way they treat these people, and they ask deep forgiveness for any way they might have they might have um, you know not respected the body with the utmost respect <laughs> until it was put in the earth. And, and meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, this Jew, by the way, we, we tried money, we tried to bribe her, we tried everything. You know, we sent people to her house. <laughs> she, she called security. She called security in her community to, to get the, the, you know, these like nice Chabadniks from the local area who came to like talk to her about it. And, um. Anyway, it's interesting they even use such a fancy word for incineration. They call it cremation. You know, they think if you put the word cream on it, it like somehow goes down easier. You know, it's. Um, so, so here's the crazy thing. You ready for the crazy thing? There was a girl. Some of you might have heard me tell this story in the past, but there was a girl who was uh, engaged in America to a man. And um, I guess these days you should say to a man. And, um, and then, um, this is a crazy story. So, so what happened was she had an uncle who was observant, who just couldn't stand to see that. He, he said to her, like, marry this Gentile man. Like, you can marry him. Go ahead. But... But at least make a choice. Like, at least make a choice. Like, find out something about Judaism and then go marry him. But to marry him out of total ignorance, that's not a choice. That's not a choice. You're, you're basically, you're, you are denying 3,300 years of Jewish tradition to marry this, this guy. You know, at least find out something about it. She's like, what do you want me to do? He says, I'll buy you a ticket to Israel. Go to Israel for three weeks. So, so the woman went to Israel for three weeks. She studied with us at Asia Terra. She studied with Rebetzin Weinberg at IOT. And, um, and at the end of this uh, study period that she had in Jerusalem, she realized, oh my gosh, like I, I almost gave up 3,300 years of my tribal traditions to marry this guy. I'm breaking it off. I'm going to break off my engagement. And, but she did him the respect of flying back, meaning she was going to come back to Israel to study, but instead of just staying to study and breaking it off on the phone or something, she flew back to break it off in person with her beloved fiancé. So she goes back to her fiancé, she meets with him, he knows something's wrong. They meet up, and, and, he said, and she says to him, you know, that she's not going to marry him, she's going back to Jerusalem to study because she can't let go of her, her, um, the, the legacy of her people. She's not going to give that up. Um, out of, you know, she's no longer ignorant about it. She's going to, she's going to, um, not going to marry him. And guess what he does? 
He looks at her and he says, Hitler should have finished the job. And her skin crawled. She turned white. She almost married this man. And he says, Hitler should have finished the job. She obviously ran away crying, flew right back to Israel. And when she got back to Israel, she went to Rebetzin Weinberg and told her this, you know, horrifying story. You know what Rebetzin Weinberg's response was? She had a quick response. She says, in Europe, in Europe, they burned us. In, in America, they marry us. But today, it goes full circle. First they marry you, then they burn you. Anyway, um, someone on Facebook, Alicia, I'm going to take another question because I know you have lots of questions. But first, the question that I had on Facebook um, had to do with the, um, it had to do with the, um, his girlfriend doesn't want to have children. So, um, to, you know, I'm always quoting Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong. And as Cheech said, responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. And, you know, life's about responsibility. Like, if I look around me right now, there's nothing I can look at that's not responsibility. Okay? I got three kids in the room right now with me. Heavy responsibility. Okay? I, I got my studio guitar. You can't play around with that thing. That thing's like serious liability. You got to take good care of it. It's responsibility. I got over there in the corner my Shabbos candles. The responsibility of, of, of keeping the Shabbos holy. Keeping the Shabbos. It's like everything. This house. It's all my bills. You know? And uh, got a lot of bills to pay. And... Uh, Sorry, my family loves saying bills to pay from the, you know, a hairpiece for a man is called a toupee. So whenever someone says I have bills to pay, I always say, why don't you give it back? So anyway. That's <laughs> um, anyway, the, all of this is my responsibility. Now, I got to deal with that responsibility and that's the difference between mice and men obviously is the more responsibility you take on and while maintaining your well-being and as us rabbis love to say is that we don't celebrate weddings we celebrate anniversaries because anyone with a pulse can get married no offense if you haven't gotten married with your pulse but anyone with a pulse can get married it takes a man to make anniversaries every year every year every year every year every year God put us here ultimately for responsibility, like to face responsibility. Now, there's a lot of reasons God put us here. Obviously, he wants our pleasure and he, wants, he loves us and he wants us to connect. But, but the ultimate, but there's, but there's also like he wants us to take on responsibility. And, and that's a whole long discussion. You can check out Jordan Peterson on those discussions about the hierarchy of meaning and, and meaning is a value and and the greater value will be greater responsibility all the time and so and so you want to guys that's too distracting for you guys to have a little fist fight um, while I'm doing this uh. 
<laughs> boys are so aggressive that like he's he's run out of boys to fight with, so he's going for my fifteen year old daughter. No, he taught me how to do it. Oh, he taught you how to box? Are you practicing boxing? Excellent. Anyway, bless you not to need self-defense. Um, anyway, the um, so there's a hierarchy of meaning and the higher the hierarchy of value, which is a hierarchy of meaning, and and the higher the value, probably the more responsibility you're going to have to take in your life for it, as you go into that into that responsibility. Now. The greatest responsibility is children. And they are what make us into who we are as adults. Our children are what, because we got to step up. We got to bump it up. We're going to step up to the plate. We're going to take responsibility for another human being, just like our parents did for us, whether they did a good job or they didn't do a good job. We got we to gotta take responsibility for human beings, for human beings' lives. And that's what builds us as, as men. That's what builds us as women. It's not, it's not an option. Okay? They, now, of course, Westerners, they have no rite of passage. So some people just never want to grow up and they don't want to deal with the responsibility of kids. And so they just don't want it. And they, they don't want any responsibility, anything. But kids is obviously a super intense responsibility. That is how we grow as human beings, is by having a responsibility where the buck stops here. You can't point at anybody. It's gonna, it, the buck stops with you, and, and you got to take the responsibility. You can't point at their education. You can't point at anything. You can't point at your parents. Now... God commands men to have children. Women are not commanded to have children. Why women are not commanded to have children, there's various answers. One is women could die in childbirth. How can you command them? How can you command them? A commandment that means risking their life. So, but there's, there's other reasons why also women aren't directly commanded here. Men are commanded this. And, and obviously we need women to cooperate. And the which is called marriage. And, and the reason why men are commanded to do this, besides the fact that, uh, that we are taking responsibility, is because, is because God created this world so that he would have a, what's called a, in Kabbalah, a dira betachtonim. A dira betachtonim, which means he wants to dwell in your underwear. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but I'm kind of not kidding, given our subject matter. Um, the word for for underwear in Hebrew is tachtonim. It means undergarments, um, underwear. Um, but in Kabbalah, dira betachtonim means that he, uh, it means that God should have a dwelling place in the lower worlds. God, meaning in the physical world, God wants a dwelling place here. Okay, what's a dwelling place here? First of all, it means being involved in your in your most sensory parts of your body, that you're going to be using those. And, and it also means that, well, let's put it like this. There's an iceberg commandment that's called be fruitful and multiply, that you should have children. Why is it called an iceberg commandment? Because 
you know, it's a cute little iceberg. You see it above the water like that. You know, it's like just sticking out of the top of the water. Let's call my head the water level, and you see the iceberg there. Oh, look at that lovely little commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. But underneath the water is this, like, gigantic, like, 3,000-meter iceberg. That's what's underneath. And this commandment, be fruitful and multiply. By the way, do you know why that was the first commandment in the whole Torah? It's because God figured when you'd read that one, you'd keep reading. Now, the... By the way, if you think that was a, a, a off-color joke, um, <laughs> I saw it uh, written by a Rishon a thousand years ago. One of our great commentators wrote it. And uh, <laughs> and the uh, uh, where were we at? Oh yeah. So why is it an iceberg commandment? Well, you just you can't just have kids because they'll be total monkeys. So what do you got to do? You got to get married because children need to be raised in a home with two parents. So now you got to have a contract because you know you can't just have you can't you can't just like do this with you know your partner as they call them because because you might leave your partner. You see, marriage has teeth. If you leave, you're going to suffer. It's called divorce, and it's, got, it's a major legal issue. It's usually a battle. It's usually like, meaning, meaning you need hell to pay in this relationship. And by the way, it's good to have hell to pay because then you can open your heart. Because you know there's no way out, so now I can actually, I can now trust and I can love and I can, I can you know, think about it. When someone has a boyfriend or a girlfriend in you know, the regular secular world, or probably the modern Orthodox world too. So what do you do? You pretend, you pretend this person's holding your heart. You're pretending. Oh, I love it. Oh yeah, I love them. They trust them, and they're holding my heart. They're not holding your heart. Why? Because there's no liability. Meaning, meaning, if things start turning sour, you got to be too big a, too heavy a load. They're out of there. Why should they put up with it? And so what do we do? We secretly hold our weight back. We hold, meaning we don't let them hold all of us. We can't let them hold all of us because they might... <laughs> I mean, to hold all of you, no offense, is like, you know, I'd, I'd run. <laughs> I'd run to hold all of you. Uh, you know, you, I would need teeth. Meaning it would, it would need to hurt if I dropped you. You know, to hold all of you. And so you'll notice even with, uh, even with my daughter's arm, can I borrow your arm? You don't have to go on camera, but just, can you stand up off that, off the, uh, the machine here? So like, if I take my daughter's arm, can you guys see her arm? Okay, a little closer. Okay, if you see her arm, now she's holding her arm, right? Now I'm going to hold her arm. Now I'm holding her arm. You see me holding her arm, guys? See me holding her arm, ladies and gentlemen? Now watch this. Did you see how slow it went down? It means she was still holding a bit, a bit wasn't she? You saw that? Arms weigh like, her arm probably weighs, I don't know, eight, ten pounds. But when I let go, oh, that time it went down. No, you're not even, come on, let me hold your arm. Oh, oh no. Close your eyes a second, really let me hold your arm. Oh, that's holding on. I'll catch it. I'm going to drop it, but I'll catch it with my other hand, okay? Okay, let me hold it. Good. Okay, so now she let me hold all her weight. And 
And by the way, when I'm running seminars, for example, and I'm teaching people about holding, so, so I will often um, have someone come up who I see doesn't trust me. And in front of the whole crowd, I, I just hold their arm like, give me your arm. Let me hold the weight of your arm, mister. And, and he's like, I'm, you got my arm. And then I let my hands go and his arm's still up. He doesn't know how to let go because he's been holding himself up all these years because he doesn't trust anybody. And you see, even naturally, I mean, my daughter trusts me, but she's, but she's still holding herself up. We, we all hold ourselves up, at least until you learn how to not. I can give anyone my arm very easily. Yeah? Uh, you want to hold my arm? Please? Hey, it's going to bang into the... She let go of it right into my wheelchair. How do you trust me? Okay, you can let go. So, so, and, and by the way, I got to tell you that it's so good for your energy if you can let go. Because think about it. If you're holding your arm, do you know how many micro muscles you're holding probably in your face? Do you know how many muscles you got inside your shoulders and stuff? Do you know how many muscles you got like throughout your hands? And I mean, you're probably wasting all kinds of energy holding yourself when it's totally unnecessary. In fact, in, uh, in yoga... In yoga, they, uh, sometimes they put us in a difficult position. You know, the teacher will put you in a difficult position. And you'll see there's someone in the group who's newer. And they're, they're, while they're in this difficult position they're holding, their face is like this. <laughs> and the teacher says to him, uh, you won't be needing your face for this. Which makes him laugh. <laughs> and then the teacher says, inner smile. Or in Hebrew, they say, panim refuot. And... and it means inner smile means you don't need your face for this. Get your inner smile smiling. And, and what it does for your digestion and what it does for your heart and your arteries, you can just, you know, because holding means holding plaque in arteries. Holding means holding stuff in your digestion. <laughs> you don't want to be holding anything. That's not something you're holding at the time. If you're holding something, hold it. Otherwise, drop it. Let it go. It's dead weight. Now, that commandment of be fruitful and multiply sends us like veering into God dwelling in the lower worlds. Why? Well, you got contract law of all the marriage. I mean, just marriage. You can see my Talmud right behind me. So that Talmud's like all from be fruitful and multiply. About five of those books are Gittin, Kedushin, Kasuvas, Yavamos, Soita, Nidorim. Six of those books is, you know, and, and then you've got, uh, then you got the Bubba's is all the business law. Bubba, Bubba, um, Kama, Bubba Metziah, Bubba Basra. It's all the business law. Well, why do you need business law? Well, because I got to feed the kids, so I got to do business. You know, I, if I didn't have those kids, I don't need the business law because I can just, I can li easily live in a tent and just be a hunter and gatherer. You know, I can grab nuts off the trees or fruit. But if you're going to be fruitful and multiply, you're going to need to be in business. And if you're going to be in business, you're going to need business law. You've got to house the family. You can't live in a tent if you've got a family. And that's the, all the real estate laws. And, and you, and, and so on. 
and you, the mistakes we're going to make are probably going to be made around all the things we're, that gathered around us while we were being fruitful and multiplying. And those mistakes are going to be all the laws of the things we have to bring to the temple, and offerings, etc. So being fruitful and multiplying is the ultimate uh, uh, commandment, iceberg commandment. And, and us men and women, to hit the next stage of our lives, we've got to be married. Yeah, it's not a, this isn't an option. You got to get married. And for those of you who feel like a little bit of a, uh, are you in socks? Don't, don't do high kicks in socks. It's very dangerous. Worst case, I'll break my, my, the bottom here. Moshe. That's the worst thing that can happen. Moshe. Wow. So. Moshe, tell me where it now the the um, I'm not used to teaching a class, watching my kids do uh, high kicks. You know, kids, don't you have a bedtime or something? It's your responsibility. It was your responsibility since we were one. Tell me it's my responsibility. They go to sleep. These are these are old. I did not say that. That was your responsibility when I was one. Yeah. Maybe you ought to go on a diet. Like I said before, responsibility is a heavy responsibility. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the bottom line is uh, is we're not we're not a bunch of little. Uh, what do you call those people, uh, Alicia? What do you call those people? Uh, uh, the the millennials, they're snowflakes. We're not a bunch of snowflakes. Yeah, we 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 want heavy lives, meaning meaning weight, one intense. We want to carry the yoke of life. We want to feel like uh, at the end of our lives that we bear weight. And that will give you a meaningful life and a life that was worth living. Okay, Alicia, you got a question? We'll do one more question and then uh, then I'm going to go to sleep. So glad I did this. I was like, I only did this because there's a gentleman who said, what happened to your daily class? I got an email like that. Okay, uh, Alicia, what do you got? I'll tell you part of the problem, the reason that it's been happening is because um, I keep getting hired by people outside of Israel for one-on-ones, one-on-one counseling. And it keeps, it keeps going like, I mean, I want to eat dinner with my family. I get one before, I get one after. And then I wind up not doing this, which is a shame. So that's what's been going on. In case you're wondering, I didn't try to drop you. Okay, at least you got another question. I can't hear you yet. Um, yes, I have a question. Um, it's basically about learning Gemara. Yeah. Um, if it's everybody, if you know everybody should be doing it, or should some people be focusing on other areas? Yeah. Um, so the way it works is, if you have a propensity toward um, associative thinking, so your focus should be more on Chumash, on Anach. On um, Hashkafa, uh, uh, Kabbalah, um, those types of things. And if you're more of an uh, analytical thinker, that's associative, right brain. If you're more of an analytical thinker, you, you would focus more on Gemara. And, um, but all of us need to learn both. We all need to learn both. It's just that you could focus more, 
Like, for example, Michael's a very associative thinker, so he would be focusing perhaps more on uh, Tanakh and stuff like that. And, um, and uh, yeah, they, whatever, they, they, Makshava, as they call it. And Chachmas um, Yisrael, the wisdom of Israel, Chachmas Yisrael. Whereas the Bina people, the more analytical types, should be focused more on Gomorrah. All of us should be studying Halacha, Jewish law. And, um, um, but there's another question, Alicia, I don't know if you would ask that as a corollary, is why yeshivas focus only on Gemara? With uh, often, many yeshivas will have four hours of Gemara a day, uh, sorry, morning, four hours in the afternoon, and then, and then a couple hours review at night, while meanwhile knowing nothing about Tanakh. Nothing about the written Torah, so and uh, and certainly not being very versed in uh, Makshava, unless they did a lot of extracurricular studying, they won't be very bu- busy with Makshavas Israel and uh, and Kabbalah included. Um, I don't know the answer why that's the focus. Um, I do know that if you focus totally in Talmud, you think clearer. You think much clearer than the average person. Why? Because your analytical skills are super sharp, super honed in. Um, this Talmud study was in answer to the, meaning this uh, extra amount of Gemara, of Talmud study, was in answer to the, to the Haskalah, the Enlightenment movement, which swept so many Jews down the river 200 years ago. And um, at those, in those days, the wise people of a community were like one or two people, like the rabbi of the community. Maybe there was some other genius there. And uh, otherwise, everyone worked. People worked. We weren't, we weren't like all a bunch of scholars. And so what happened was when the Enlightenment movement came, another movement coming from a bunch of smart people with no year of Shemaim, uh, when the Enlightenment movement came, it really swept people up. And they were not very honed in uh, in in the 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 um, arts the art of argument the art of debate that was not their thing. And when you study Talmud, you're you are getting seriously fine, refined uh, debating skills, and you know what you're doing. Now, of course, this is another subject because the Hasidim said, "Don't debate, don't debate the heretic." And Hasidim did a little better than the non-Hasidim by avoiding the heretics altogether, uh, whereas uh, many of the yeshiva community were more interest, were more open to being involved in debate with the Enlightenment people, and subsequently uh, took greater hits from from the Enlightenment period. Um, Boo. Yeah. That's basically it. Um, anyone else uh, question? Let me check Facebook real quick, see what other questions came up there. Um, oh my gosh. After that whole answer, it turns out that uh, she wants to adopt, <laughs> but is so scared of medical complications that she actually just doesn't want to get physically pregnant. Is adopting or using a segregate surrogate mother kosher or fulfillment, the mitzvahs of being fruitful. Oh, wow. Um, 
Certainly for you, segregate mothers are fine. Um, that works for sure. But uh, what would be a lot better is to get her a little therapy, to unless she has a medical problem, at which point she can't do it. But uh, might be a little therapy would be good and the right thing to do here. Um, uh, what else? Um, see if there are any more questions here. Thank you, Joe, for saying I'm looking well. I don't know, on this camera, I look a little, I don't know what color. I look a little weird. Hey, wow, is that Shlomo saying hi? Okay, game. Um, so we're going to call it a night. Unless, uh, unless someone from, uh, someone has like a burning question, we're going to call it a night. Gidon, you have a question? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Gidon. Go ahead. What's your burning question, Gidon? Uh, that's, I guess, more, I guess, one. I mean, I know you don't have a short one or one. Uh, take the shorter one, please. All right, so it's, uh, I suppose, uh, kind of came up in mind when you started playing the song. Is, um, I guess I'm a fan of quite a few classic American singers. Uh, what singers? I've just been wondering, uh, recently. Hmm? What do you say about singers? And said, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of quite a few classic American singers. Oh, okay. Uh, range, like, left belly. Range from Blood Billy to Johnny Cash. Go on. And I'm wondering how to balance that. Balance um, it with what? In terms of uh, what songs I suppose would be okay to listen to and uh, what type of song you should avoid. Why would you want to avoid a song? So in terms of, let's say, Johnny Cash, he has um, quite a few songs which have uh, overtly Christian uh, tones. Oh. Or perhaps that'd be... Perhaps let's say the message of the song isn't exactly, um, this was Jewish value. Here's the rule. It's an SID of it. Let me just give you a rule, Gino. Um, you, um, the rule is basically, um, uh, SVS stands for, um, anything that's, uh, sexually explicit. That's S. Violent is V. And S is, um, is uh, swearing, like foul language. Yeah? Yeah. That's out. So you always stay away from SVF. SV, SVS. Okay? Yeah. And, um, and in all media, movies, everything. Some people love movies, but it cancels out about 90% of them. So movies always have to be deep and meaningful because... Because 90% of movies, if not 95, have SVF and SVS in them. Um, and then the, the next thing is, um, is that when, when you have lyrics that are overtly um, of another tradition, that may even be um, a tradition that is contradictory to Torah, so then you skip those particular songs. Now, they might have very beautiful lyrics and all kinds of other songs um, that are not overtly, um, uh, they're not like specifically making references to, to uh, contradictory to Torah things. So, for example, Johnny Cash, who has some overtly Christian songs, so you'd want to, um, you'd want to um, skip those songs.
I'm not here to offend Christians, by the way, but but Gidon is a dedicated de- dedicated Jew, and Christianity is in direct contradiction to Judaism, and um, and uh, meaning for a Christian to be Christian, that's a whole debate. But for a Jew to to uh, it's completely contradictory to Judaism, but completely, and uh, and they're they're they're, it's, they're not even remotely compatible, and um, for the Jew. And therefore, uh, you'd have to avoid that. By the way, I'm being very lenient with you. Um, there are many people who would say that it's dangerous altogether to be listening to music that's not at a root, a, a pure root. Um, but meanwhile, ha- half of Hasidic songs were written by Gentiles that Jews somehow sanctified, you know, by turning it, by saying oy 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 a lot during it, it suddenly becomes Jewish. So the. Um, you know, one of our a Shabbos song we sang last week was the, is the song that the Tsar of Russia used to march march into. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow that's Jewish. Anyway. Um, you're, you're, you don't have to worry about it so much. Just avoid the ones that have explicit lyrics that are Christian. Okay. And, uh, and then, uh, someone on Facebook said, and the best Christmas songs were written by Jews. (laughs) I don't know which ones you're referring to, but, uh, Oh, a lot of the songwriters for the Christmas songs were Jewish. Oh, really? They were? Oh my God. Well, Leave it to Jews to write the best Christmas songs. Okay, everybody. Blessings. Lots of love to you. Try to keep it up. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.